It's good to see you. My name's Steve. Um, I'm married to Tammy, you've already met, and um, we help lead this thing masquerading as a church. Um, it's, it's great to see you. And um, we're in the second week um, of a teaching series uh, that we're calling Multiply. And during this series, we're looking at an Old Testament character uh, called Abraham and, and just kind of exploring his life, that God uh, made Abraham a man who multiplied. And so that's uh, what we're doing. You know, in many ways, Abraham is probably one of the most important figures in human history. Three of the, the world faiths that make up more than half of the world's population all look to him as the father of their faith. And, and so hopefully, as we will see, um, Abraham walked a, a path of, of significance and multiplication. And, and you and I get to walk that same path. And so hopefully we can learn something as we look at the life of this man. You know, this theme of multiplication um, is really at the heart of what we believe God is doing with us right now. Uh, as a church, uh, as a church family, uh, we believe uh, we've been invited by God to continue to uh, be a growing church community. Um, but we actually believe we're called to grow not just through addition, but through multiplication. And so, as we as we look back over what God has done to this point, uh, we dare to say, "More, Lord." That, that actually, um, you know, all that God has done so far, we're saying, come and multiply it. Um, come and do it again, and will you, will you multiply it? Will you breathe upon it? And, and so as we lean into this, um, we're, we're starting to take some new risks as a church community. Um, you know, the fact that you're here at a service that starts at 11.15 is because um, we've multiplied to two services. And so we've gone from a very crowded church with one service to a church where there's some space. Um, you know, there's some empty seats around you because we believe God wants to continue to grow us. And so we've multiplied to two services uh, to make room, to make room for others. Um, also, as we look to the future, we believe uh, there's an invitation for us to not just multiply in one location, but to multiply in multiple locations. And that we, we believe that the Lord is inviting us to plant expressions of this church in other communities across our county, with the first of those already starting in Kettering uh, this week. And so we're, we're in an exciting season, and a season where we want to see things grow and multiply uh, and become all that God has for us. And so as we explore this character, uh, Abraham, we want, to, we want to kind of figure out what it means to, what are the characteristics of people who live life, or live lives of multiplication. Uh, what characterises those kind of people? What's it look like to be a people who live in that reality? And so last week, if you were here, we looked at um, Abraham's call. You know, Abraham was called by God, uh, and God said to him, I want you to leave, I want, to, I want you to leave your security uh, I want you to put everything down that you know is yours, and I want you to go to a place that I ain't going to show you yet. And so he makes that leap. And um, you remember we quoted um, the famous reformer, John Calvin. He summarized Abraham's call like this. Just close your eyes and take my hand. 
that when God's invitation to us is to multiply, he's literally saying, follow me, just close your eyes and take my hand. And, and, and so that's the journey that we're on. And so today we're moving a little bit forward and um, we're going to look at what it means to multiply and trust. Or to use a more Christianese word, have faith. Okay? And so it would be great if the story of Abraham and, and his choices that he's made in, in Genesis 12, it would be great if that was a story of unbroken obedience and success and victory. But any of us who are familiar with the story of Abraham will know that isn't the case. Um, he's not a man who walks in you know, 100% success or 100% obedience. In fact, Abraham gets it wrong quite a few times. And um, even as we leave chapter 12 of Genesis, we see he tries to give his wife away to save his own neck. Um, I don't know if any husbands have ever tried that in the room, um, but it's quite hard. And, and, so, um, and so we're picking up in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along. And in Genesis uh, chapter 12, 10, God sends a famine uh, to the region where Abraham is, is staying. And so he makes a detour uh, to Egypt, because uh, that's the only place that had food. And so verse 10, it says this, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know you're a beautiful woman. I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well. For the, for, uh, for the sake of my life, will be spared because of you. In other words... Tell, tell Pharaoh um, you're my sister, because if he wants to marry you, he won't kill me. Uh, that's essentially what he's saying. And, and I don't know about you, that kind of sounds a little bit messed up, doesn't it? It kind of sounds a little bit uh, dysfunctional. It sounds like a feature for the Jeremy Kyle show. Um, I don't know if, if any of you know what the Jeremy Kyle show is. If you don't, ask a student, I guess. Um, they're the ones who are around to watch it, but uh, picking on student morning. Um, but it's, bit, it's a bit messed up. It's just like, why on earth would you do that? But Abraham is this person who we consider to have great faith. And um, in Hebrews 11, uh, he's included in the Hall of Fame, isn't he? You know, there's this long list of men and people of faith. And so Abraham is included in that list. And, and even in Genesis 12, we see him make this amazing leap of faith. You know, God says, I want you to leave it all behind and go to the place that I haven't showed you yet. And, and, he, and he does that. And, and so you think that's his trajectory. That's what Abraham is like. So you think if he was going into Egypt, he wouldn't be that worried that he might get killed. But he is. And he, and, he, and he kind of continues to do this. Now, the good thing about Abraham's story is it makes us feel a little bit more comforted by who we are, you know, when we look at our own lives. You know, if you're anything like me, 
Um, you don't have success uh, all the time. You know, maybe 99.9% of the time, but not all the time. You know, you, you don't walk a, walk a life of, uh, you know, victory and success that our faith wavers from time to time. And so we don't get it right. We mess up. We, we get it wrong. We fail. We sometimes lack trust. You know, sometimes God can speak things into our lives. He can speak to our hearts And yet we still doubt what he says. We still don't always trust what he said to be true. And and, and so, you know, we can count at least four or five occasions when Abraham, he he drastically messes up. He he does things that you just think, what a screw-up. You know, how on earth could he do those sorts of things? And so we've got this, this occasion in Genesis 12 where he... You know, he tries to give his wife away. Um, And then Genesis 16, he's getting a little bit worried um, because God still hasn't given him a son that he was promised. You know, God promised promised Abraham that that from his seed that he would make him into a nation. And, um, and, And whilst he's frustrated and worried that this isn't happening, his wife makes a suggestion to him. And she, she suggests that Abraham sleeps with her, her servant so that they can have a child. I'd just like to say that it was his wife who suggested it. Um, but he goes along. And so, and so this happens, and Hagar gives birth to a son uh, called Ishmael. And, and, and surely this means success. You know, they finally got what they wanted. It's... It's victory, you know, we've got, a, we've got a son. But actually, it's still slightly messed up. You see, out of sheer frustration, Sarah says, sleep with her, uh, and she'll get pregnant. And so Abraham does what she suggests, clearly an obedient husband. And then Sarah gets a little bit ticked off. I can't think why. And, and, and she starts to abuse this woman who has given birth to a child uh, from Abraham. And actually, the way Abraham messes up again in this is he's a little bit spineless. He, he allows his wife to continue to abuse this woman who simply did what she was asked to do. Then in Genesis 17, God, he reappears to Abraham to renew his promise to give him a son. And, and Abraham, this father of the faith, this great man of God, he laughs in God's face. He literally scoffs at God. And then finally, in Genesis 20, Abraham, he runs into another king, another ruler. And guess what? He says to Sarah, he says, Sarah, can you pretend you're my sister again? And so he, he, he lies again and encourages his wife to lie on his behalf. And so the mistake that he made at the beginning in Genesis 12 is the mistake he made in Genesis 20. Now, I don't know about you, just that brief overview of Abraham's life kind of highlights the fact that he was a pretty messed up guy. Um, there was lots of uh, mistakes that he made, lots of, you know, lots, lots of times that he just he overstepped the mark and, and didn't quite do what he should have done. But... Um, but it also, I don't know about you, it makes me feel a lot better about my life. 
<laughs> I don't know about you. It makes me think, oh my goodness, life's not that bad. You know, um, we haven't got servants. So life isn't that bad, and I've got three children. Um, but here's the thing. In the midst of failure and making mistakes, we learn how God deals with a person. Uh, and that's what I want to try and think about this morning, is we, we kind of figure out how God interacts in the midst of our mess-ups and our screw-ups and, and the way we do things wrong. And so one of the first things we learn is this. God grows our faith by testing it. Right after Abraham's act of obedience, right after he makes this choice to abandon everything and follow God, God causes a famine so that Abraham would have to go to Egypt. Now, Egypt represented insecurity. You know, Abraham is going there, but he's insecure. He's worried what's going to happen to him. You see, we don't just make a one-time decision to follow and simply move on. When we, when we make that decision to follow Jesus, um, often things will come our way that make us feel insecure, that make us feel unsettled. James, in James chapter 1, um, he says it like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. How many of you woke up this morning and thought, it's such a joy I'm suffering this morning? Anybody, anybody do that? No, no. Everyone in the first service did. I'm just, just, just going to say, set the standards there. But you, and he, he goes on, he says, but you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. You see, faith kind of works like a muscle. And the way we strengthen muscles um, is to strain them. That, that's what we do. And so... Um, when you work out, like myself, every other day, um, we strain muscles. And when we strain a muscle, we, we produce thousands of tears in that muscle. And, and, and what happens is uh, that causes the muscle to repair itself and grow stronger. And you see, God grows our faith by often putting us in situations... Um, where we get torn, by, by putting us in places where we feel weak, in order for something of our faith to grow back stronger. Now, I don't know about you, um, or whether you, how long you've been following Jesus for, um, but often, you know, we make a choice to follow Jesus, and it's, and it's not long before um, something happens, and that, that trust we put in Jesus for the first time, we have to let, then learn to trust him again in a, in a whole new way. And, and, and that's kind of our experience, isn't it, of following him, that we, it's this ever-increasing um, momentum towards one, needing to trust God. Uh, and, and you'll find how we trusted him in one occasion will be completely different to how we have to learn to trust him uh, in another 
You see, following Jesus isn't a static experience. It's a journey, a journey of trusting him every single moment of every single day. See, faith is the most important muscle in the Christian life. And uh, God is committed to strengthening that muscle. You see, faith isn't this thing that you activate when you first come to Jesus. That actually, faith is the whole thing. It's the whole deal. Everything in the Christian life grows in the soil of, of faith. But here's the thing. In testing our faith, God often brings us to the brink You see, God could have given Abraham and Sarah the son that they longed for instantly. But instead, they have to wait like 30 years. And, um, you know, when the promise was made, Abraham was already in his 70s. And um, and so we we could ask, like, why? Why wait? God, why did you make them wait so long? Well, if we go back to that muscle analogy... You know, those that, that train, pump, pump weights, you know, they stand in front of a mirror like this, don't they? It's like, um, but those, those that pump weights and lift weights, um, they talk about this thing called muscle failure. And, and there's this, this idea where muscle failure is that we, we strengthen our muscles by pushing it to the point of failure that you, you push your point to where you can go no further, that the, the, um, the muscle literally gives in. It, it can't do it anymore. And in doing that, that actually multiplies the capacity of the muscle. And you see, that's the kind of thing that happens with our faith, that as we, as we go to the brink, as we go to the edge of things, then there's an opportunity for our faith to be multiplied. You see, if I, I think if God had given them the, the child as soon as he made the promise, whilst there would have been lots of celebration and lots of rejoicing, I'm not convinced there would have been much faith involved. And so Abraham somehow has to feel this, this sense of, Total helplessness. See, there was nothing in his situation that he had the ability to, to solve the problem. He couldn't conjure anything up. He couldn't make anything happen. And when he did make it happen, it all went wrong. See, there was nothing that he could do about his wife's barrenness. And so he had to be in a place where he could discover what utter dependence, dependence was on God for the promises that God had made. That he had to be utterly dependent upon him. And so that's often the only way our faith grows. Faith grows when we, we're in that place of total dependence and saying, God, I'm on the edge right now and I just have to believe and trust that what you say is going to happen. What you've promised is going to come into being. Maybe this morning for some of us, the, the reality of that 
touches a nerve. The reality of, of, of being at our brink. You know, we recognize that God has brought us to that place. That we're, we're on the edge of things and we don't know where to turn. We don't know how to exercise our faith in the right way. You see, living and walking as Abraham did is not a pleasant place to be. If it was, we wouldn't be using words like testing and brink. But he's the one, he's the one who leads us through the valley. He's the one who leads us through the valley and can provide for us in that place. You know, he's the one who sends the storms but then demonstrates his ability to walk on water. He's the one who sometimes allows conflict to surround us so that he can show us his ability to provide a table in the presence of our enemies. See, God is serious about teaching us to live by faith. See, faith is not part of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. And in order to live our lives and live lives of multiplication, we have to learn to exercise that muscle, that faith muscle. You see, faith is taking all that we are and trusting God with it. All of who we are. Trusting him with our lives, with our families, with our kids, with our jobs, with our possessions, with our resources, with our money. You know, God doesn't ask us to give of our resources or our money because he's a little bit short this week. Deuteronomy 14, 24, it says, The purpose of tithing or the purpose of giving to God is to teach us always to put God first in our lives. Now, a lot of churches will say the reason for giving is because God, God needs your money. If God needed your money, you'd just take it. Okay? God doesn't need your money. But we, we give because it teaches you and me to put God first in our lives. And in order for us to do something like that, it requires faith. It requires faith to be activated in our lives. C.S. Lewis, he puts it like this. He says, the only safe rule when it comes to generosity is to give until it scares you. Because only then do you know that you're giving by faith. You see, this life with God doesn't work if we just hedge our bets. Okay, we just play it safe. We just, you know, I'll dip one toe in. See, faith doesn't become faith until we act on it. See, we like to talk about faith, don't we? I'm talking about faith today. Isn't it nice we're talking about faith? But then we say, well, we need you to act on your faith. And then we realize, oh, that's slightly different. That's a bit harder. You want me to act upon this? You want me to put it into practice? You know, in Hebrews 11, where it lists all these great men and women of faith, 
There's no, there's no noun for faith. Faith is, is a verb. Faith is an action. And faith doesn't become faith until we act upon it, until we do something. And so where do we get that kind of confidence from? How, how can we be confident that faith is enough? And so I think we, we do that, we get confidence uh, when we realise God is more committed than we are. And we see Abraham finally gets this. He, he gets this, and we'll look at this in a few weeks' time, but Genesis 22, after God finally gives Abraham uh, the, the promised son, he then asks him to sacrifice this son. Now, when you read it on the surface, it just sounds like weird child abuse, doesn't it? It's like this ritualistic thing that God is asking him to murder his son. Um, and, and, and in many ways, we'll go into depth, in more depth than that. But Isaac is, is not only the, the child that Abraham loves, but he's the thing that represents all of the promise that God has made. Yet Abraham is willing to go through with it, believing that God's promise still stands. That God's promise is still going to happen. And so after failing time and time again, Abraham finally gets the confidence to obey. You know, after being the kind of guy who threw his own wife under a bus. Some of you thinking, how did he do that? Um, But he threw his own wife under a bus. He finally gets it. He finally understands that God is committed to the promise that he's made to him. And that promise is going to happen whatever happens. The promise that God made to Abraham was going to happen regardless of what Abraham did. And see, in this moment, God is, is far more committed to making Abraham into a great nation, fulfilling his purpose and calling, than Abraham was committed to seeing it happen. You see, God is committed to me far more than I'm committed to myself. Any of you know that? God is more committed to my family, my wife, my kids, than I am. When I mess up, when I let them down, he is still committed. God is more committed to us as a church than any of us are committed. You know, he wants us to grow and multiply as a church far more than any of us do. And see, here's the thing. No matter where you are, or how badly you think you've stumbled, or how bad you think you've messed it up. We can get up, we can walk by faith, because God is committed to us. We can get up, we can pick ourselves up, because God is committed to us. He's, he's committed, and, and his commitment never subsides. You see, true confidence doesn't come from within us. It comes from what he has done for us. Proverbs 24 says, The righteous man falls seven times and rises again. You know, imagine a person who fails over and over again. 
repeatedly messes things up, repeatedly gets things wrong. If you can't imagine them, look in the mirror. And imagine that person, God says, that's a righteous man who can come back each and every time. You see, our righteousness is not shown in never failing. That's good news, by the way. See, our righteousness is our decoration that when we falter, when we get it wrong, when we mess up, God is still faithful. See, Abraham failed lots of times. He lied. He cheated people out of livestock. He, he did all these different things. But each time God says, Abraham, get up. I've still got a plan. We all mess up. We all mess up badly. And today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that will be an opportunity to get up. You see, getting up is a declaration of faith that God hasn't given up on me. And actually, God has proved that in the person of Jesus. God never gives up on us. Paul in Romans chapter 5 says, Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you see, that's the declaration of faith that we make, isn't it? That's the declaration of faith we make when we come to the table and receive communion as we partake in his body and we drink of the cup. That's the declaration we make. We say, God still has a plan. God still has a purpose. He he still wants to multiply my life. He still wants my life to mean something, to count for something. And it's all for his good. And so, you know, we all mess up, don't we? We all get it wrong. We all put our foot in the wrong places. We all say things we shouldn't say. We all react to situations in the way we shouldn't react. We all drive cars. We all do things that we, we know we shouldn't do. But the good news is it's, it's what Christ has done that counts. That he's the one who's dealt with it. He's the one who says, it's time to get back up. It's okay. I've still got a plan. I've still got a purpose. I still want to multiply your life. I still want your life to mean something. I still want your life to go somewhere. That's the grace of God. That's the exciting adventure of his kingdom. And you know, if we're going to be the kind of people who multiply, if we're going to be the kind of people who see the church grow in multiple ways, then we have to understand this to be true. We have to understand that who we are before God has been done and dealt with. And that we can pick ourselves up each time. And he says, it's still okay. The plan's still okay. I've still made the promise. The promise is still going to happen. And we begin to exercise this muscle of faith, we, we learn to trust God in a whole new way.